Hi friends! You're listening to Self Love is Blind. I'm your host, Jillian, and I'm legally blind. Self Love is Blind is a podcast where we discuss all things self-love related. The challenges, the self-doubt that can get in the way, and sharing suggestions that can help overcome those challenges. I don't really think of myself as being disabled, and my friends don't really think of me as being disabled either. Everyone has challenges, some more than others. I want to give a little shout out to my friend Hadley for being my first patron. Thank you. It's been almost two weeks now since the podcast was live. I've got two episodes out now, and I am absolutely overwhelmed by the fantastic response I've received. Thank you to everyone who's reached out, subscribed on iTunes. It's super cool to watch the numbers of listeners grow, and I can even see that people are listening all around the world already. I've had some listeners in the US and Ireland and Romania. It's pretty cool. I'm also a bit overwhelmed just in general. Um, I'm driving this bus by myself, and it's kind of like if I was actually driving a bus. <laughs> I'm blind, so that's kind of scary for everyone. I actually have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm doing it, so... Um, I'm a little bit behind because I just realized I was doing something manually when I didn't need to be. So I should be able to get on track with my weekly Tuesday releases. It's all a learning experience for me at this point. I've been told I sound confident. Um, thank you. Um, I want to assure you that I'm not nearly as confident as I sound. It's all about faking it till you make it. I wanted to drop some self-love tips for the week. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is put some music on, something I know that will make me dance around a little bit. When I was in school a couple years ago and just totally drowning in schoolwork, I'd play Three Little Birds by Bob Marley on repeat. That's exactly what got me through. When I started to get anxious, I just remind myself it's a temporary feeling. I also had to step away from editing at one point because I was feeling just really overwhelmed with everything. It was taking me so long and I didn't understand why. So stepping away actually helped me because I was able to stop and think about there had to be an easier way. Turns out I was right and I was doing something manually when I didn't have to. Every storm runs out of rain. There's a quote for my next guest who I've dubbed the queen of quotes. I know she's a super busy woman, so I'm very grateful Claudette donated her time to have this amazing conversation with me. Uh, I swear, she's like superwoman or something. I met Claudette through her son, Matt, who is one of my close friends. He is one of the sweetest guys and very considerate. He always offers his help to guide me if I have trouble seeing. Although, there's been a couple times when I've had to be the one to guide him. <laughs> Another quote for the Queen of Quotes. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Faith is taking the first step when you can't see the whole staircase. I resonate a lot with Claudette as she talks about taking leaps in life. So, in this conversation, we untangle some of her fascinating life story. 
some of the different awakenings she's encountered throughout her life. And we talked a lot about empowering others and women. Although the reality is that the information that we talk about is valuable for just about anyone. Some job titles that Claudette has held over the years have been a municipal counselor and deputy mayor, a dental assistant, commissioner of oaths at the Nova Scotia Supreme Court, just to name a few. Some of her biggest accomplishments are her work having a council recognize Lyme disease as a priority and her participation and assistance with the first Lyme conference held in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. With the empowering women theme in mind for today's episode, and being that it's Black History Month, I wanted to highlight a local resource that I came across recently. I'll put a link for this in the show notes, but I just wanted to read a little bit of this article that I found on CBC. So the title is Mentorship Program for Black Women in Business Starts During the Pandemic. Halifax entrepreneur Tia Upshaw was tired of seeing so few businesses owned by black women. That's why last year she founded Black Women in Excellence, a mentorship program that provides education and encouragement for women who are just starting out and hoping to grow their businesses. We need to be included and we are not included. We have the skills and attributes. Upshaw now owns three businesses, but said she spent many years feeling stuck in jobs that never seemed to lead anywhere. There were many difficulties with being a single black mother and not having sufficient childcare and just a whole lot of things that added to my decision to just work for myself. Her 16-week workshops cover business basics, from how, to re- from how to register with the registry of joint stock and understanding tax rules for businesses. After the workshops end, the women will be paired with mentors in their field who will provide ongoing support. She said she's still looking for a few mentors to take part. They can live anywhere in Canada as long as they have about three to five years of business experience. There's not a lot of black women who own their own businesses, she said, but also when they're trying to get help, there's not a lot of advantages out there for us. So you get doors closed on you and they say you're not in the age, the right age category. I'll have a link for that in the show notes for anyone who'd like to see that. I think it's a great program and will be super beneficial. Black excellence is all around us, and it's about time everyone's starting to recognize it. I genuinely love hearing the feedback. Please keep it coming. Uh, You can head over to my website. There's a form on the contact page where you can send me your comments. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does help. Check out my website, selfloveisblind.com. I designed it myself, and I think it looks pretty great. Subscribe to my Patreon for exclusive content, like a monthly bonus episode from the host, me. Exclusive access to a virtual community, a Discord, and bi-weekly Zoom hangouts with me. Follow and like Self Love is Blind on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
Make sure you leave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If it's not a five-star review, send me an email at selfloveisblind at gmail.com and let me know how I can make it a five-star review. I'd love it if you shared this podcast on your media or told five friends about it. Self Love is Blind podcast is created, produced, and sound designed by me, Jillian Gillis. Intro beat sounds by Scotia Music. Logo design by Brandon Mosier. And website powered by Christopher Oxner Studios. I hope you enjoy this captivating conversation as much as I did. I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long. I'm here today with the Claudia Garland, and we're going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff, life experiences, how to empower others. But first, I'd like you to introduce yourself. Okay. Thanks, Jill, for having me. This is uh, really quite an experience, and I'm honored that you asked me to come and speak. Let's see. I am i don't know if I should tell you my age or not. <laughs> oh, what the heck? I'm 63, and some you don't days... don't look it. <laughs> Well, thank you. Some days I feel like I've lived maybe four or five lifetimes, that's for sure. Certainly have a lot of life experience. Gosh, I started out in life wanting to be a doctor, sidetracked into dental assisting, ended up in politics, which I had an interest for from a very young age, actually. So that didn't surprise me that I landed there. I don't know quite yet that I'm finished with that, but, uh, you know, you never know where you end up. I, my favorite quote is, the path to our destination is never a straight one. And that certainly was the way for me. Um, been uh, married twice, divorced once, widowed once. Have two adult sons that are both my great pride and joy and are very successful in life and happy, which is the best thing a parent can ask for. Mm-hmm. And I have a new grandson. He's a little over a year old now. And, and he's become the love of my life, really. <laughs> Not that I don't love my sons left, but... Unless, I should say, but there's just something special about a grandchild. It's uh, pretty spectacular. Aw, yeah, and he's so cute, too. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) So that's actually how I met you, was through one of my good friends, your son, Matt. Mm -hmm. And we started following each other on social media, and uh, I think you're a really cool lady. (laughs) Thank you. You're pretty amazing yourself. I was always quite uh, impressed at how you live your life. Well, thanks. That means a lot coming from you. So you've got quite the unique story, uh, especially your birth story. I'm kind of dying to hear you tell it. <laughs> Gee, my birth story. I came into the world in a rush. I guess that's the best way to say it. My mother was along in her pregnancy quite a ways before she realized she was pregnant. And uh, Even the day that she went into labor was a surprise to her. She wasn't sure what was happening. It was actually her mother that said, I think you're going to have that child, and uh, took her to the hospital. And yeah, I was pretty much born on the floor as she was getting up on the delivery table. Just came out with a a whoosh. The nurse caught me and immediately peed on the nurse. So that was... That was my entrance into the world. Oh my! I think that I think that kind of set the tone for everything from there on. Wow, that's wild. So you almost hit the floor? Almost. Yep. Nope. They didn't drop me. The nurse caught me. And that nurse had since passed away. But I always, you know, I'd run into her every now and again in town, and I always kind of smile when we <laughs> when we'd see each other. 
like, you're the reason I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> so you shared that post or you shared that story on a post in our Facebook group that you started. And I find it super fascinating. You incorporated abandonment into the discussion as well. Uh, can you elaborate why you chose to discuss abandonment alongside of that? Gee, that's a good question. When I write, it's usually in the moment. Like things will just come to me and it and it flows. It's not anything I generally prepare for. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it might be a conversation I've had with someone and it'll it'll trigger a memory or like, oh yeah, that should that fits with this. I'm not sure why I decided that day that abandonment fit in with the birth story or, or how the two came together. Um I mean, we all have abandonment issues, whether we <laughs> right. like to believe it or not. We do. At some point in our lives, we feel abandoned. Totally. And I felt that, like, throughout reading the story you shared and all the the stuff you included in the post, like, I realized that I it just kind of dawned on me that abandonment issues come to be the root of a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't even realize in that moment that we have been abandoned in some way. Right. Whether it be physical or emotional. But there are times throughout our lives that we will feel withdrawn from everything or abandoned. You know, whether it be, I mean, something as obvious as a divorce, you know, a breakdown of a relationship. You feel abandoned and obviously there's always one person in that that will feel like, what did I do wrong? You know, why am I not lovable? Not And it's not always the person that has been left. Sometimes the person that's leaving feels they were abandoned in that relationship for right. whatever reasons. So many different things can contribute to well, yeah. abandonment. It's... And one thing you mentioned, I, th- I think you mentioned it, was like even generational, like can be passed down mm-hmm. through a generation. And it made me think about like, so my parents... <laughs> were both visually impaired back when they were younger. They didn't integrate the students with disabilities into the school system. So they had the blind school and it was a residence. So, you know, my dad was from Cape Breton Mm -hmm. and my mom was from 30 minutes outside the city, but they stayed at the residence. And my mom talks about when she was very young, she would she would cry when my grandparents would drop her off. And my grandfather said, she, my mom would tell the story and say, Grampy would say, you would cry, your mother would cry, and I would wonder if I was doing the right thing. <laughs> well, for me, I was, uh, my mother, you know, almost immediately went back to work. I was with a succession of of nannies, you know, that looked after the home and and looked after me. I shouldn't say succession. There were probably three, you know, long-term throughout my life. And uh, my mother really wasn't maternal in a lot of ways. She She was a businesswoman, and that's where her passion was. And some of it was out of necessity, you know, you had to make a living. But I had a, a good life as far as, you know, material things growing up, but I didn't have a lot of emotional closeness in the family unit because, you know, the parents were busy working and and uh, I had more of a closeness with my grandmother and my nanny, the hired nanny, than I did with my mother. 
Wow. Although I emulate my mother a lot, and sometimes that bloody scares me mm. that I see my <laughs> mother coming. I was like, oh my God, there's my mother, and it's me. So, you know, nature over Been nurture, or nurture over nature, I guess it's there. But I was, I was a pretty shy child growing up, never said too much. I think I'd spoken to you earlier and said I, I had my Oprah aha moment at 23 when I was going through my first divorce. Well, my only divorce. I shouldn't say that like I'm Elizabeth Taylor. There's only been one. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was very quiet. I never spoke up. I was shy. You know, I didn't do a lot of dating throughout my teenage and early 20s. My list of boyfriends is very short. And uh, yeah, once I got that voice, there was no turning back then. It was the first time I'd ever said the F word. And really, I haven't stopped. Oh, that's okay. I don't curse like a sailor on the show here, but no. it's definitely not uh, It's not a curse-free zone. So you don't have to hold back too hard. <laughs> I was a bit of a goody two-shoes growing up, really. You know, I was a girl that would never take the cigarette that was being passed around outside the school. Or, you know, I didn't stay out too late. Or I was. I was I was the good girl. But then, boy, when I hit my teenage years, around 15 or 16, I was like, you know, a dog let off a short leash. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit of a bad cat. <laughs> Nothing too serious. Never ended up in jail or, or uh, in lockdown anywhere, but... You know, every every teenager makes stupid moves, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I made a few. Hey, I did too. <laughs> I definitely got married too young. 19, didn't know a darn thing, thought I knew it all. Wow. No, and then divorced it. Well, it was 23. I got left around when I was 22. But just, it, it wasn't for me, that kind of... That kind of relationship just it wasn't for me. I, I didn't talk about it to anyone. I never discussed with people what went on. But I used to, uh, with my best friend, actually just a few years ago, had said if I could emulate it to something, it would be like um, that beautiful Christmas present that's underneath the tree. It's just so gorgeously wrapped. And you just can't wait for it. And then you open it up and it's like a big pile of dog dew in there. It's just... <laughs> Very disappointing experience. <laughs> yeah. No, it certainly, yeah. yeah. Without going into too many details, it just uh, wasn't what I was expecting. And there were too many, too many expectations on me. Like I'm, I'm a bit of a free spirit. I won't say I'm a wild child. I'm not a wild child, but I don't like someone trying to control me. Right. Yeah. That's, that just wasn't going to work. No. 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 You're too independent for Very that. much so. Actually, that was something that, it's funny you say that word, that he had said to me before we had gotten married. He was actually annoyed that I was so independent. He said, you're just so damn independent. I thought, well, why is that a bad thing? Right. Yeah. That's what drives me crazy. Like, don't you want somebody who's already secure in yeah, who really. they are and they don't need you, they want you? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't for me. Not that relationship anyway. <laughs> and then I met, you know, the the next man in my life. I didn't date for a long time in between there either. I think I only went out with like maybe two people. And, you know, 10 years between me agreeing to get married again. I was really quite gun shy. Wasn't really sure that I wanted to do that again. But my late husband and I, we were together for uh, almost 40 years. Wow. Yeah. How old were you when you met Howard? Uh, gosh, I th 
Now you put me on the spot here with numbers. <laughs> Let me think. Well, it was shortly after I moved back from New Brunswick because after my divorce, I left town and went and accepted a job as a dental assistant in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Okay. And I was flying back and forth every weekend or driving back to home. What I thought was home. It was home. It was where I was born and raised. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm actually just going away to work five days a week and then hitting the road Friday night and driving back home. And, you know, the club scene was, I laughed. There there was only like two places in that town to go. (laughs) But, you know, all my friends were still there. And, you know, they were home from university on the weekends. and, And I was still young. I was only 23. So... Um, I guess it was not that long after I was officially divorced that I met Howard. I I, read, I met him by running into his car. That's how we met. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, it wasn't good. He loved that car. I didn't yeah. do any major damage to it, like maybe a nick, but uh, I did own up to it and found out who the owner was and, and uh, actually walked away from his house thinking, phew, what a, you know what he is. <laughs> And then we met a few nights later at one of the local watering holes, and the rest is kind of history. We we dated for quite a few years, and we moved in together, and then marriage followed. So it was just like a sort of a natural progression, but I was a little hesitant on walking down the aisle again. But it, it all worked out fine. Yep. And some of that flows back to my trust issues and and he was a fisherman he was away a lot Mm -hmm. and I was home alone a lot and I thought well what's this life going to be like with raising children because his schedule at that time was uh 12 13 days away and four days home jeez you know there wasn't a lot of time for him to participate in a parental role if we went down that road but uh, there again it worked out we raised two very fine boys that are both quite successful in their own rights so yeah it takes a takes a strong a strong will and a strong determination to actually be the wife of someone who goes away for work you know whether it be a fisherman or someone in the forces mm-hmm. or you know the oil fields whatever it's because uh, you take on every role yeah you have to become the mother the father the doctor the lawyer yeah everything absolutely in their absence yeah and then you have like the stress of them being away. Yeah. And especially like in that field, the fishermen, like we just we just seen here in our home province the devastation that mm-hmm. the ocean can bring. Was there six or seven people on that, that ship? I think there were six and five are still missing. Is that how it went? Yeah. Uh, they've located the vessel. I mean that was that was traumatic for me just to follow along with that because it hit so close to home. Mm-hmm. I was uh, pregnant with my oldest son when one of my husband's company sister ship was uh, on a rock pile, I guess you want to call it. It had run aground, and the captain was lost. He wasn't accounted for. That was my cat, by the way. (laughs) I got the call first very early in the wee hours of the morning, you know, long before social media and and, uh, communication levels that were secure and viable. Some wives had had noticed from through the grapevine of somehow that a ship had gone down or had been run aground and the captain was missing. And of course, my husband's ship was out there at that time. So they were wondering if it was his ship. It's like, I don't know. I haven't had any confirmation of that. Like, I'm getting calls at 2 a.m. in the morning. That's scary. So I I waited until 9 o'clock to call the shore captain of my husband's company. And 
asked him and he said, how did you hear about this? I said, I, uh, my first call came at 2 a.m. this morning. He said, you waited all this time to call? And I said, well, yes, you know, it's an appropriate time to call. And uh, he said, no, it, it's not Howard's vessel. He, he said it was Frank's vessel and Frank was unaccounted for. So yeah, you have your close calls and mm. I've been on the phone already with my husband, like in years later when communication, when they had satellite phones, mm-hmm. it was in the early years, it was just through the Coast Guard. And you did not call just to say, hi, how you doing? (laughs) It had to be something serious to make that call. Yeah. But, you know, when satellite phones came along, we were, we talk almost every day. But I've been on the phone with him already that a wave has hit the ship and just, you know, just about taking windows out. We have no idea what they go through out there. Well, I do because I made a trip out to sea on a working scalp dragger. Yikes. Yeah. (laughs) It's not fun. No, not for the weak of heart. <laughs> no, and I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't even out in, in what they consider bad weather. I think the worst was like thirty mile an hour winds, and I thought we were on the Titanic. <laughs> I mean, I seriously prayed for death, and I was on. A, I worked while I was there. I just wasn't on a pleasure cruise. I worked. I shocked scallops, and the men wouldn't let me out on the deck because they said, "Well, it's bad enough we have a woman on board, but you're not going out there. It's not safe." And they would go out on the deck and pick up the scallops for me. This was. Um, back in the days of being a, what they called a wet boat, where the men used to go out on the deck after the rakes would come in with the scallops, pick them up, and then bring them back in the shocking house into bins. Oh. So I wasn't allowed out of the shocking house, but uh, don't leave me alone too long because I'll figure something out. And I did. While they wrote picking up and coming back and dumping the baskets of scallops, I learned very quickly that the scallops with like a red algae or a fuzz on them, they called them redbacks, those always had a bigger meat than any other scallops. Okay. So since the men wouldn't let me go out and pick up my own, when they were gone out of the shocking house, I'd go around all their bins and pick out the redbacks and put them in my bin. (laughs) (laughs) And I was being paid by the bucket then because I was considered a greenhorn, had no previous experience. So you only get paid by the bucket. You don't get a share. Okay. So I got $25 a bucket. So I had to make those buckets go. Make them worth it. fast. So yeah, I clued in pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why you're a smart lady. (laughs) Sometimes life makes you have to be smart. You got to figure it out. And I've always been very capable. My two female influences in my life, my mom and my grandmother, were very strong women. And my grandmother had instilled in me from a very young age, you don't need a man for anything and don't ever put yourself in a position that you do. So I I guess I really took that way to heart. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very independent. Yeah. Maybe too independent sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, I I can relate to that. I uh, I'm also feel like I'm maybe a little bit too independent for my own good, but hey, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I don't either. There's nothing worse. Well, I guess too being independent, you don't have to depend on anyone else for anything. Therefore, you don't have to go through abandonment. Right. Because you're always able to take care of yourself. Right. Would we maybe classify that as Extreme independence? Probably. (laughs) I'm sure Freud would have a day with that. Yeah. And it probably all goes back to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it all feeds back into that thing. Absolutely. You've been abandoned. You force yourself not to be put in that situation ever again. Mm -hmm. You build your walls. Yeah, exactly. It's all about protection mechanisms. And like you say, we all have them. Some just aren't as obvious as others. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And they come in all kinds of forms. Yes, they do. 
This is what I was looking to you. Thank God. Matt was a C-section baby. I don't think he feels abandoned, though. I think he feels pretty secure. But who knows? <laughs> so, neither of us are experts or therapists, but can we talk a bit about some small things early on in life that can add up and be affecting us without us even realizing it? Sure. I guess there's all kinds of things that can manifest an abandonment issue with, yeah, that we probably don't really realize. Birth trauma, you know, separation at birth, a C-section, being dropped off at a summer camp. Some kids are really traumatized by that and follows them throughout life. Right. That's um, what made me think of my mom in yeah, that situation. Yeah, being dropped off at that. grandma's yeah. house for the night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boarding school, mm-hmm. parents divorcing, an absent parent, a sick parent, death of a parent, close family member dying, you know, close friends passing away, um, having your life put out there and realizing that, you know, you're vulnerable. It could be you. Growing up in an emotionally cold environment where it wasn't safe to express yourself. Verbal insults. Emotionally aloof or distant parent. Gosh, there's all kinds of things that can, you know, sort of mess with your brain that you're not really consciously aware of. That it's it's affecting you later in life. Yeah. I mean, some people have to go through years of therapy to realize that. And some people are lucky enough to have a little light switch turn on and go, Oh, okay. Maybe that's where that came from. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's not that people aren't lovable. You know, they just feel a little something missing, perhaps. Or something can be triggered that you don't really know what brought that emotion on. Sometimes a lot of deep reflection into yourself is... Uh, I've always been an overthinker. So I do a lot of questioning everything. Like, just the simplest comment sometimes. I will drill on that mm-hmm. until it's like, okay, now this makes sense. Now I understand what that meant, or it's, you know, the best thing for me, or this is how I interpret it. I just don't take anything at face value. Mm-hmm. You know, I always had a little bit of a detective in me, for good or bad. And, and maybe that goes back to my uncle, because he was always, uh, he was a surgeon, and is sort of priming me to follow in his footsteps in the medical field, which sort of was going in that direction, but, you know, life life path. But he always used to say that uh, 90% of our health care was our own responsibility and only expect 10% from your physician because they're human too. Mm-hmm. I never forgot that. Even, yeah, it's really easy to forget. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're trained. They have, they don't know everything though. And I don't think a lot of them proclaim that they do. It's, uh, you know, we, we only know ourselves best. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, it's uncomfortable to look at yourself or look within yourself. Yeah. 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 It can be. It really can be. But I think that's when you really start to make progress is when you when you start analyzing and taking a close look and understanding yourself better. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really taken the dive off the deep end the last two years, especially the last two years. It, it's, uh, you know, since my husband passed away, there's, well, there again, I was abandoned. And I even made that comment. Well, you're abandoning me. I mean, he he couldn't help that he was dying, but I had that emotional response response there. It's like, I'm going to be on my own. And I remember saying to my oldest son in a moment of panic when we were first given the diagnosis and um, my husband was away. When the call came, the doctor told me 
And I said, you're going to have to call him and tell him that yourself. And I gave him my husband's cell phone number. He was actually away at our cottage with uh, a couple of friends for the weekend. And uh, he called me back. He said, well, I guess you've been talking to the doctor. I said, yeah. He said, well, I guess I've got cancer. I said, well, there's not much guessing about it. You have it. Yes. And I said, well, I guess we've got a lot of, we got a big job ahead of us. That's for sure. And I said, are you coming home? And he said, no, I just got here. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, what? We've just been given the news of like no one ever wants to get and you're not coming home. Okay. Very good. So anyway, I hung up and he called both of our sons and told them the diagnosis. and On the phone? On the phone. Did yeah. they know that he was being tested or whatever? Yeah. They okay. did know some things. They, they knew there was a biopsy coming, but I don't really think that anyone of us thought that it was going to be that. Right. Yeah. And my oldest son called and he said, uh, Dad just called and told me. And I said, yeah. And he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And then I just, everything let go. I wasn't fine. I was mm. crying. And he said, no, I'm coming. I'm coming right up to, be- I, no, no, no. You stay where you are. There's like, there's nothing that can be done. We'll tackle this next week when he comes home and set out a game plan. We don't even know what the treatment schedules are yet or anything. We know nothing. So no, he said, no, mom, I'm coming. I said, okay, come on up. And I remember, you know, trying to hold it all together and be that stiff upper lip. And um, when he put his hand on my shoulder, it was it. I just like, I was putty, a big pile of goo. (laughs) And I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How am I going to do this all by myself? You know, if the worst happens, how am I going to go on by myself? How am I going to do it all? And he looked at me and he said, Mom, you always have. Why would this be any different? And I'm like, oh, my God, he's right. I always have. So in that moment, I knew I was going to be okay. But it, it took my child to bring that back to me that I was going to be okay. And that's where we forged ahead from that moment. I was determined everything was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. My husband lost his battle with cancer, but it certainly wasn't because I didn't give it everything I had. But, you know, cancer doesn't play fair. No. No, no it doesn't care about no. our feelings. No. It doesn't discern age, race, greed, color, nothing. Yeah. And every one of us, at some point in our life, will be affected by cancer. We're all vulnerable. Yeah. No getting away from it. Yeah, that's that's really tough. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And it's life. Yeah. You know, that it's no one ever said life was going to be fair. I don't remember ever reading that or hearing it. So it's just, but it's some, life. But some of us just expect it to be <laughs> yeah. that way. Oh, it'd be nice if we all had the perfect <laughs> lives and, you know, died at 100 and still able to play tennis. But no, that's just not how it is for most. Right. Uh, cliche, play the hands you dealt. Yeah. Yeah. Life is just one big poker game. <laughs> it truly is. Yeah. You can strategize and you might hit a good one every now and again, but yeah, you just seem to get comfortable and you're going to get a bad hand. Yeah, just when you start to get comfortable. Just when you start to get comfortable, (laughs) So let's talk about abandonment a bit more. How are some ways that abandonment wounds can play out in real life? Like always waiting for the other shoe to drop or fight, flight, or freeze, trauma responses, trust issues? Well, for me, I think I managed to make it all the way to 21 or 22 before... Divorce ripped the rug out from under me and put all my wounds up on 3D display, I guess we'll say. Um, somehow, 
I managed to convince myself, like many of us, that I was just fine. That there was no, well, there was no escaping at this time. My first husband was, well, I guess we won't go there because I, I always vowed I wouldn't put it out to the public of what went on. And, but anyway, <clears throat> I stood there in that moment of reality and I was panic-stricken and felt helpless. I hadn't discussed any of it with friends, family, or my mother of, you know, what went on. And uh, everything just sort of flooded back to me. And suddenly I felt like I was three years old again. And I recognized that my own wound for what I was, or what I felt, a sense of realizing the pain that I was actually in from my past, that gave me the freedom to feel and heal without needing someone else to do it for me. And I guess that's, you know, my aha moment was Mm -hmm. I'm on my own. I'm an adult now. There's no crawling off into the corner. Right. You got to take these challenges and, and forge ahead. Yeah. I don't know. I guess mine was activated to such a degree that in my first month of separation, I wanted nothing more than to find myself safely back in that lifeless marriage. And a lot of people do that. They're, they're afraid to go ahead because the ahead is unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the bad marriage is the known. Yeah. And maybe the known is better than the unknown. For a lot of people, I would think that, that that's what they do do. It's very scary to start out and walk away from everything that you know. Because mm-hmm. you just don't know what's ahead. Yeah. But I've taken on this um, phrase that I use, taking a leap. Mm-hmm. I've been taking a lot of leaps since then. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you can't, be, you can't be afraid to go ahead. There's, there's nowhere yeah. to go but forward. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. was just going to say I've heard you say that one, too. Yeah, there's nowhere to go but forward. Yeah. And that's really, like, a really good attitude to have. Yeah, I'd say probably in the last 40 years, I have built on that a lot. And there were times that I would think, yeah, I give great advice, but do I actually do it myself? And yeah, I do. And more so now than ever that, you know, I feel a little more comfortable giving people advice because I've done it. I've been there. I've done that. Mm -hmm. Like I say, I've lived four lifetimes, I'm sure with my experiences. And uh, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I've worked for doctors. I worked for a psychiatrist for a few years. I learned a lot while I was there. And, uh, you know, to anyone that's ever struggling with anything or really just can't even figure themselves out, go and seek professional help. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, the stigmatism of seeking psychiatric help nowadays is not like it was years ago. It's still there, though. Well, yeah, to a degree, I think there is. Yeah, mm-hmm. society has to be more accepting yeah. of mental illness. There's still so much that's unknown about it, mm-hmm. like even depression. Yep. You know, it doesn't have to be because of a traumatic experience. It can be a chemical imbalance. Yep. And the brain is still the most unknown organ that we have, the most misunderstood, mm-hmm. because there's just not enough about how it functions. Yeah, they have, you know, basic function that they know, but they really don't understand the brain like they should. Definitely. No, that's still in the works. mm -hmm. And they do know a lot, but like the reason I'm doing this is I think us sharing our personal experiences Mm -hmm. is great because it helps. Like I've learned so, so much from just listening to other people's stories. Mm-hmm. So I think well, we can all... There's a level of comfort in knowing you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Like yep. sometimes your experiences feel very unique, but 
once you start talking to people, you realize you're not alone. No. And for some people, they need to know that they're not alone. That's their help yeah. factor. Because a lot of times, like, you know, with depression and anxiety, it it is telling you in your head, like, it's, it's lying to you and telling you that you're alone. So just the fact that there's someone out there who can relate is huge. It's yeah. huge. I had actually put a, a post on the other day in, in our ladies group about depression and how, you know, um, it happens to everybody for whatever. If it's, you know, just a fleeting few days of feeling down because of, you know, the passing of a loved one or, or a cherished pet or you had a car accident or you've had a financial drop out or you've lost your job. There, there are situational depressions that they will pass, but it's when they don't pass is when you have to seek professional help. I mean, people are helped by just talking or some need to go on a medication. It's like there's, there should be no shame in depression. And I think society is heading more in that direction. Mm -hmm. But like you say, it's still there. Stigmatism is still there. Yeah, there's that. still a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And even for myself, like up until, well, it was a year now that I've been on uh, on an antidepressant and I started seeing a therapist this time last year. And that was a huge, huge help for me. But before that, like, I mean, a couple months, couple months leading up to is when I actually realized that I was, that's what I was experiencing. I didn't know enough about depression and anxiety to realize that I'd been suffering from it for years. You had your own aha moment uh -huh. that you were looking deep inside and you started to realize some of these things were this. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, at a certain point, like if you've been dealing with depression for so long, um, you start to feel like this is just how it's supposed to be. This is just life. You know, yeah. I'm supposed to feel this way. I've always felt this way, but that's the mental illness, mental health challenges mm -hmm. make you feel that way. It's not, it's not real. No, our brains will lie to us. And one quote that I like is, uh, be careful what you tell yourself because your brain is listening to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that's really big thing that's helped me too is um, trying to eliminate the negative self-talk. So say, I don't know, last night I was looking over the notes for today and I made a mistake and I was like, oh, you're so stupid. And then I corrected myself very quickly. Like I'm, you know, I'm training myself to correct that way faster than I used to. Like I used to just beat the hell out of myself all the time. But no, I, I it almost immediately like to myself in my head, I'm saying, no, you're not stupid. You made a mistake. Mm -hmm. You're a human. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the most successful people in the world have self-doubt mm -hmm. about themselves or you know, the last business deal they might have made or, or missed or whatever. I, I just think it's human nature to uh, beat up on ourselves sometimes. I still do it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm having a bad hair day or, uh, you know, like today, driving in here. It's like I didn't leave myself enough time to think that there was construction going on on the 103. Right. And I ended up being late. And it's like, you know, I'm in that moment, I'm sitting there. I actually took a picture the traffic jam for proof 
<laughs> it's like, why didn't I leave at this time instead of this time? Like, and it's like, you didn't know. Yeah. You, you just yeah. thought it would be clear sailing and just let it go. Yeah. And it's not a big deal. Like yeah. you just need to remind yourself, you know, on the large scale, yeah. it's really not that big of a deal. Like husband, you gave me more time to get ready for you. So. <laughs> well, that was something I used to say to my husband too. I'd say, don't sweat the small stuff. Like, you know, he'd get upset, like overly upset if one of the boys had been in the garage and, and left a tool out of place. You right. Know, when yeah. he'd go out there, he's it's like, oh my God, don't sweat the small stuff because when the big stuff hits, you're going to have a hard job handling it. Yeah. And when the big C hit, he had a hard job handling it. He really did. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a whole other story. Yeah. Yeah. But, we could do a whole episode yeah. on that. But there's, there are so many little things that we manifest into bigger things that just don't need to be. Right. We have to learn to stop ourselves. Yeah. 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 I've seen like, you know, uh, my dad's family were the nicest people you ever want to meet. But I just imagine like, you know, someone, one of us dropping something just simple, like dropped a pen mm-hmm. and like go on dropping the F-bomb. Like, <laughs> I just dropped a pen. It's not It's not something to get pissed off mm-hmm. about. I've been actually doing some research into overreaction to things, you know, like sweating the small stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been interesting. Some of the things that I've been reading, it's like, oh my gosh, that some of those overreactive moments for certain people, um, some people have exhibited those tendencies that go on to develop Alzheimer's. And they're trying to figure out in... The scientific world if there's a correlation hmm. so yeah i i found that i've never lost my love for the medical field i still mm. read research study yeah it's so so fascinating it is yeah and there's so much we don't know and that's why it just boggles my mind when you know with all the the People saying this is a hoax with COVID and stuff like... People are dying with this hoax. Yeah. And And I know people die with flu, like um, Haemophilus B. People have died from that. I had that two years ago. Yeah. And uh, people have died from that. People die from a common cold if they have underlying conditions. Mm -hmm. But this COVID... No, this is not a hoax. This is is the real deal, people. Yeah. And there's doctors and epidemiologists and scientists and researchers all across the world. If it was a hoax and if it was all made up, we wouldn't have everyone across the board in these professions agreeing that it's that's real and it's a big problem that we need to take seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the guy who barely passed a science course, you know, he's trying to say that... It's all made up to take our free freedoms away. Well, yeah. you know, by making you wear a mask, it's yeah. it's not that big of a control problem. No. Think of the medical profession that has to wear those masks every day for their job. Right. Would you prefer that your surgeon not come in and do your surgery without a mask? Like, really? Exactly. And, you know, surgeons wear masks for 12-hour surgeries, and people are going out there saying masks 
cause like brain damage if you're not breathing fresh air like that's just ridiculous you know these people have been doing surgeries for a long time 12 hour surgeries a couple times a week and they are still just as smart as they were when they graduated well look at us nova scotia safest place on the planet right now Mm -hmm. from covid yeah and yes we have some active cases but they are so low and, yeah. and we, it's because we've been compliant for the most part. Yes, we have a few that are, you know, not complying. But they're they're louder than everyone else. So it seems yeah. like there's more than there really is, I yeah. think. A friend of mine, she just said something funny the other day. She's like, this is just my opinion. And it might be a little harsh, but, you know, the people who are saying it's a hoax... Let's just say, okay, if you don't want to wear a mask and you want to deny that this is real, okay, then don't wear your mask, but go walk through a COVID ward, a full COVID ward without a mask on, and then give up your access to healthcare if you come down with the disease. And I have a, I call her my adopted daughter. Um, She's a girl from Jamaica that I met many years ago on vacation there. Just the sweetest girl. And she so longed for a better life. And I helped her out on a few occasions monetarily. Mm-hmm. And she eventually got to the United States with my help and took a nursing course. And she's working now and making a better life for herself and her daughter, which I'm very proud of her. And uh, I do call her my daughter and she calls me mom. Uh-huh. And she works in a hospital in the U.S. And I've had conversations with her that she says, Mom, I don't know how I'm going to go back to work tomorrow. I just, I can't tolerate the noises that I'm hearing in my head all the time when I'm on shift, off shift, you know, the refrigerated trucks out back, just, you know, holding bodies Jeez. that have expired. The the gurgling sounds of people that are dying with COVID, the people that are struggling to survive this. She said, I just, I said, honey, you, you know, you need to go and talk to somebody because oh yeah, you've got PTSD working there right now. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I said, you know, we're population is depending on you to help them through it. So, you know, if people don't think this is real, I'd like to invite them to go to a ward mm-hmm. that has COVID patients and just Take say, okay, this, this is a hoax. Yeah. Hardly a hoax. No. And right now we have the lowest incident rate of colds and flu this season than we've had any previous seasons. I wonder why. I wonder why. Could it be the hand washing, <laughs> sanitizing, and masks? Heavens no. Yeah. Gee, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we're super fortunate here in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia did excellent with uh, being able to keep the the cases managed. and And they knew that once they opened up travel again and, you know, freedom to move around, that there would be a second wave. They knew that. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't that it was unknown. It was a prediction, but it was a pretty solid prediction that, yeah, it wasn't when, it was, or it wasn't if, it was, it was when. when. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So let's change gears a bit. Um, I want to talk about the Facebook group that you started. Um, it's called, uh, can we say the name? Sure. Will okay. You? All right. You named it It's Time, Ladies. And let's chat about why you saw a need to start the Facebook group. I mean, I know for me, when I went to NSCC, I started a women in IT group 
because I saw a gap in the supports for women in a male-driven career path. Well, just um, talking to friends and colleagues, there just didn't seem to be a lot of support out there for a sisterhood, you know, to support other women. You have your friends that you can talk to, but sometimes they're not experiencing the same things you are. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with a group like that, you get all kinds of diversity, people that have been through different things or experienced different things. And hopefully it was, you know, going to empower women to um, believe in themselves that, you know, they are able to conquer. And if just talking amongst ourselves wasn't able to give someone the lift they needed or the direction they needed, then perhaps we knew where they could go to get that. Right. Because I am a firm believer in the sisterhood. I myself, when I was growing up, and maybe it was because I was so shy, I was bullied in school. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Me. But I was. And, you know, going through my first divorce, I felt very alone, singular in that, that uh, I didn't discuss it with people. And when my husband's second wife was going through problems, she had contacted me and I said, absolutely, I'll have a discussion with you or, you know, I'll, I'll do for you whatever I can to help you through this. Because looking back, if I had had someone to talk through things with, I couldn't talk to my mother because I tried to call off my wedding and my mother talked me back into it. <laughs> so, so, she wasn't anyone I was going to talk to about that. Um, you know, some t- like mothers are great when it comes to a lot of things advice wise, but certain things you just need your girlfriends. Yeah. It's also a generational gap there too. You know, what was right for her in her day <laughs> was not right for today. Amen. You know, and, and, you know, if uh, some of the advice that I give my adopted daughter is from my experience or perspective, but it may not be right for her in that particular you know, it's, there's a generational gap there too, but we like to learn from the experience of those that have come before us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was really what this group was supposed to be about. It was supposed to uh, be about self-love and empowerment and, and more so the sisterhood, which I truly believe in the sisterhood. And I love what Madeleine Albright had said one time. I love her quote. There's a special place in hell for women that don't support other women. <laughs> She was yes. what, the first female Secretary of State of the U.S. I think that was her position. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And there's so much jealousy out there, and it just doesn't need to be. This is not a competition. Yes, there's probably competition in the workforce, you know, if you're competing for a job or a promotion, but not in the physical sense. Right. You know, women just don't need to be jealous of other women. I think that's, to me, jealousy is worse than cancer. Yeah. I just think it's a terrible disease to have. And I've never been jealous. And a lot of the things that I look back on in in ways that I was bullied in school was jealousy. Mm-hmm. And it was insecurity of those girls that were trying to put me down. That was another quote that I used to have on my desk when I was in politics because, I mean, that's a blood sport. Politics is a blood sport. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. And now with, you know, social media, emails, everyone out there gets a free headshot. Like you are always in the target. Yeah. When you're in the political world, you are always in the target. But I had a quote on my desk that said, sometimes the only success people taste is when they take a bite out of you. And it's true. (laughs) You have to, you know, sometimes you have to look at that person that's trying to put you down. Like, what is going on inside them? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a girl in my 20s, I wouldn't have looked at it that way. Right. I would just, and as a teenager, I'd have just been hurt. 
Yeah. But you don't now, realize that it's got nothing to do with you. No, absolutely nothing. But as you grow and evolve and you learn, you realize that this is not about you. It's about them. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say that I'm forgiving of a lot of that. No, it doesn't make it right. <laughs> it doesn't but make it right, no. But it helps it you to understand. Understand more. And yeah. Some t- actually, I had a conversation with someone earlier today, uh, a longtime friend, and she was being very negative towards me in some things. And I thought, what is going on here? So I've decided that our next conversation, I'm going to uh, turn things around a little bit. I had lots of time to think about it on my drive in here. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, the next time there's, like, negativity being thrust towards me, I'm going to ask, where is this coming from? Yeah. And just having that communication, yeah. like... And there's in this group, it's not, it's not for everyone. I mean, there's been one or two that have dropped out of it because they didn't feel it was anything that was going to be beneficial to them, and, and I have no problem with that. Yeah, that's fine. But if there's one person that you can resonate with, that's, that's a good thing. It. Yeah. It's it's a little slow on the uptake. I know, you know, being from a small area, people are kind of uh, a little afraid to put themselves out there for, you know, people to wag their tongues or whatever. But uh, certainly it's it's what I call a safe environment. If you have an issue or, you know, you're looking to seek some help. I've had a lot of private messages from members. Oh, nice. Yeah, that are just a little hesitant to put it out there in the group for fear that it might, you know, someone may think less of them or... And I said, you know, only talk about what you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I, I said to another friend of mine today, you know, I, I realized a few years ago that I lived my life too quietly. Yeah. I wasn't outspoken. I didn't share a lot. People had a very huge misconception about who I was. Uh, I intimidated a lot of people. But once you get to know me, that is not me. But I can't help how people perceive me. Right. <laughs> but I, I made a conscious decision years ago that I was going to live my life out loud. Yeah. The one thing I don't discuss is my love life. Mm-hmm. I do not discuss that. Like You will not know who I'm seeing or who I'm spending time with or if I have a relationship. No, no. Keep that is guessing. something. <laughs> Keep you guessing. Yeah. That's awesome. No, and I think, you know, you're entitled to have your privacy when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like, no one needs to know everything, everything. about you. No. People are on a need-to-know basis, you know? Well, being in the political arena for eight years, you're under the microscope anyway. Mm-hmm. So, for me, it was the best thing to do was to get out ahead of it before someone could make anything out of it. So, yeah, you're not going to drag up my past because I'm going to put it out there. So what are you going to do about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to beat you to it. <laughs> yeah. Not that I had much to hide or anything, really. A pretty dull life when I think back on it. But uh, Something tells me I doubt that. <laughs> now, I've had a pretty spectacular life when I think about it. Yeah. What would you say to someone who says it's unfair to only include females or why exclude men from the conversations you want to have? I found it nice to have a group of ladies where it's a safe place to discuss things without fear of judgment and criticism. I actually had a a gentleman contact me because he wanted to join the group. And I said, no, girls only. And he said, that's not fair. (laughs) It's funny you bring that up. And I wrote back to him and I said, well, it may seem a little unfair, you know, in society that's supposed to be all inclusive for everything. But, 
you know, I said, I just, um, not that I'm trying to segregate the sexes, but women have issues and topics that only other women will understand. Mm-hmm. And the same for men. Actually, if it wasn't me being a woman, I think men need a group like that. I'm actually have a couple of men now that contact me regularly with um, issues that, that they're having. I almost sound like a therapist, but I'm not. <laughs> we need to get you like started on your own. Like, I need to go back to university. Um, I've always, I've always had that though. People have always come to me with issues and problems. Even total strangers will blurt out things to me. I'll be standing in a grocery store, and someone will just tell me about their miserable life, and I'm like, I just wanted bananas. I just came here to buy bananas. <laughs> Like, why is this happening? Yeah. And it, it started actually in elementary school and then in junior high and then high school. You know, some of my guy friends were coming to me with their girlfriend problems and I don't understand this. And I, <laughs> and it's happened my whole life. But this is going to sound a little corny. But until I started researching and finding out about myself, mm-hmm. I discovered I'm an empath. I was going to ask. Yep. I'm an empath. Yep. And I didn't really even know what an empath was. But now I know. And now all these things that have happened throughout my lifetime, a lot of them make perfect sense because you seem to attract those kind of people. That energy. That, yeah. Yeah. That need need you in that moment. Yeah. Kind of thing. I I think I've figured out that I'm also an empath. Um, what are some of the things that make you think that you're an empath? Oh, gosh. Well... The people coming to me, with, yeah. uh, you know, and First thing, confiding yeah. in me. Um, a lot of people have said that they just feel very comfortable around me once they get to know me because they find, you know, that initial shield. But once they're past, it's like, oh, God, I don't know how I was ever intimidated by you because you're so not like that. Yeah. And um, the fact of the way that I feel things, like I can see a dead animal on the side of the road and I can physically feel a pang go through me. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to explain. Yeah. You just, you feel. Yeah. And you feel deeply. Like you can almost, and I, I don't want this to sound like, you know, some hokey pokey kind of stuff going on. <laughs> but it happens. Yeah. And you really can't explain it. Mm-hmm. It's just you, you feel in that moment. I, I think probably a lot of great actors, you would find out, are empaths. Mm-hmm that they can assume the role that they're playing because they can take on that persona yes. so easily. You just have this ability to mm-hmm. feel. Yeah. And it can be a blessing as well as a curse because sometimes you absorb way too much negativity. <laughs> you, yes. you got to work hard to build yourself back up out of that hole because you can absorb all the negativity that's coming at you. Yeah. You know, I was saying to a friend the other day that um, I think that's kind of why the gym doesn't work for me. Um, I enjoy going for walks and being out in nature, but I I always, always avoided the gym. Like I, I used to go, but it always just didn't feel right. And I think it was probably because I was taking on everyone's energies that they're mm-hmm. there to work out. Yeah. <laughs> And if I hadn't done the research about what an empath is, mm-hmm. I'd probably say, ah, Jill, you're full of it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you're not full of it. It does. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing to uh, realize. Yeah. And to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a 
whole other... There's actually a social media group for empaths. There's a couple. Um, but yeah, they're just trying to sort out, you know, the the way that they're feeling with being an empath because it's kind of confusing, you know, when you feel, you know, someone tells you a story and, you know, I've broken down totally like feel that pain Mm -hmm. of the other person's story yeah it's just really strange but it is strange it's hard to explain too yeah like i say years ago i'd probably be like "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." yeah whatever and it's like it's like i was saying earlier about depression like you don't understand it unless you experience it Mm -hmm. so exactly but yeah that's uh that's interesting actually we're doing really good I feel like I could talk to you all day. <laughs> we definitely have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I'm not short on words, that's for sure. I never used to be. I was very quiet, wouldn't open my mouth for anything. I wouldn't participate in conversations, but huh. no, I'm a talker now. Just was that before you found your voice at 23? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. I was still quiet for many years after that, too, really. Mm-hmm. But um, Evolved. Just before I turned 50. Actually talking to my best friend one day. You know, my sons were gone in their own directions. They didn't need me anymore, really. They both had their licenses, and away they went and did their own thing. You know, my husband was at sea, and Harry was sitting home. It's like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want to do. I think I have a lot to offer. And uh, I said to her one day during conversation, there was a poker run on our lake, and I'd never participated. And I thought, life is passing me by. I am sitting here watching all this activity, and I want to be part of it. And uh, I said to her on the phone earlier that morning, she said, are you going? And I said, well, no, because, you know, Howard's at sea, the boat's in the boathouse. And he really kind of frowned upon me going to social events without him. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know. He said, gee, I said, I'm, you know, soon going to be turning 50. My life is half over. And she goes, (laughs) good old her, bringing up the reality she said oh honey you're not gonna live to be a hundred your life is more than half over and it was like uh that's another aha moment <laughs> yeah like what am i waiting for mm-hmm. and then friends of mine went by my dock in a boat and i ran out the front door and i was waving them down and they saw me and they turned around and came back i jumped <laughs> in the boat they didn't even slow down that much they were still moving and i <laughs> launched from the end of the dock right into the boat and I said go just go because they knew too that my husband was not one to like for me to you know go to events when he was at sea without him I said just go yeah that was that was my next defining moment and I remember saying to my husband at one point yeah I went because you know we would talk on the phone when he was away and I said yeah I went to the poker run (gasps) he was not happy and I said well you know what life is passing me by I spent too much time waiting waiting for you to come home, waiting for the right moment, waiting for whatever. And I said, and I'm going to enter politics. Wow. Yeah. He really was not very supportive of that, but it was something I wanted to do my whole life. It was like, what am I waiting for? Right. No, I'm not waiting anymore. And that's from that point in time of turning 50, I don't wait anymore for anything. Nope. Taking a leap. Yeah. I mean, you can't put your life on hold you know for somebody else yeah that's your biggest mistake not to say that you shouldn't respect your relationship for sure there are always going to be boundaries that shouldn't be crossed but you know i think um, partners should support each other Mm -hmm. in 
in their wants and needs for them to be a whole person. Yeah. And I felt very, very sequestered. I just wasn't going to do that anymore. I actually said to him, you can come on this ride with me or you can stand back and watch me go because I'm going. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came along. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only have one life, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Make it worthwhile. Yeah. And you just can't live your life all the time to please somebody else. No. You can't do it. No. I realized that over a period of time, but it was a process where I realized I was kind of chasing my mom's dream for me. You know, Mm -hmm. I was doing all the things to try to make her proud and not really paying attention to what was going to make me proud of me and you know like she wants the best for me she wanted me to have a steady nine to five job with benefits and you know I mean I worked I worked in a call center for five and a half years I worked in an office I I seen what it was like to work for someone else and kind of feel like just another number and I didn't want to do that again and then I went back to school for IT and I forced myself to finish the program I kind of realized partway through that it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do and I still didn't know what I wanted to do but I knew um, I didn't want to go back to work in an office Um, I knew I didn't want to work in IT where, you know, I'm, my brain is being broken every day just because, you know, it's not, it just wasn't for me. And, uh, it was a really hard pill to swallow that, you know, I went back to school. I spent all this money. I spent all this time and I burnt myself out just to finish the course and then, now what? I don't. And that's where the depression came in, right? Um, but then I started seeing my therapist and then COVID happened. And then I was like, well, shit, if I, even if I wanted to get a job now, I can't, no one's hiring. So then I picked up the podcast. Um, the idea just kind of came to me and nothing's really ever felt more right than this. So I really hope that uh, I can keep going with it and make a difference for someone. Yeah, if you just helped one person. And that's my that's what I've said. Like it'll be a success if I just help one person. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think I don't like to pat myself on the back, but I think even just by starting these conversations mm-hmm. um, with people, I've told someone what I was trying to do and they actually called me up and said they were struggling and I talked to them for a couple hours and you know just just that kind of thing to know that you know you're seen and you're heard and And that was something that I found when I was in politics is that uh, people don't always expect you to solve all their problems but they just want to be heard acknowledged they just want to know that You know, what they're saying is valid, and you take it seriously. And I always, you know, tried to do my very best for anyone that had an issue. There was, um, at the end of my eight years, there was probably only one that I hadn't accomplished, but it was still in the hopper to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. But, 
yeah, I'm very proud of what I did the eight years I was there. But you can't please everybody, and and you can't help everybody. Like, what will help one won't help another. But if you help that one, that's the one you were meant to be. Right, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty of what I'm doing here, because I want to have people with the same experience talk about... Um, different things that help them because something that helps you may not help me and vice versa. So I think that's a good place to leave that episode. Part one of two with Claudette. Stay tuned for part two coming up next week. In this episode, we touched on depression, and I mentioned I didn't know enough about it to recognize the signs in myself. So I wanted to take a second and list a few things and share some resources. I'll have some links in the show notes. Signs of depression that you can look for are feelings of sadness, tearfulness, emptiness, or hopelessness, angry outbursts, irritability, frustration, even over small matters, loss of interest or pleasure in most or all normal activities such as sex, hobbies, or sports, sleep disturbances including insomnia or sleeping too much, tiredness and lack of energy so small tasks take extra effort, reduced appetite, weight loss or increased cravings for food and weight gain, anxiety, agitation, restlessness, slowed thinking, speaking or body movements, Feelings of worthlessness, guilt, fixating on the past, failures, or self-blame, trouble thinking, concentrating, making decisions, and remembering things. Frequent or recurrent thoughts of death, suicide, suicide attempts, or suicide. Unexplained physical problems such as back pain or headaches, just to name a few. As I said, I'll have some links for that stuff in the show notes. If you're struggling, please reach out to someone you trust, uh, someone who will listen and won't judge you. If you're in a crisis, call 1-800-273-TALK or reach out to the nearest emergency room or call 911, find a therapist or a support group or a hospital. On the other hand, if you want to know more about empaths, I'll have some links about highly sensitive people in the show notes. I'm Jillian. Thanks for listening to Self Love is Blind, and I'll see you next time.